We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England standing QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle, he's going to go. Touchdown. Oh, hey there. Thanks for joining Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. He's Chris Biederman. I'm Kyle Madsen. We're your hosts. And joining us today from Bleacher Report, you know him, you love him, Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. Matt, Chris, how you guys doing? Doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. I don't know if Niner fans do still love me or not. We've had a <laughs> we've had an interesting relationship over the past uh 15 years, I guess, of me covering the draft. So uh, it'd be fun to get into this a little bit. Hey, yeah, don't take it personally. Like, I, I try to do, we all try to do the best job we can, and, and sometimes people just hate opinions and, and hate, you know, the, the the way people go about doing their job when it's like, this is, I'm just trying to do the best I can. But, uh, yeah, that's how it goes with the draft. A lot of conflicting opinions and, and things like that. But we're really happy to have you and uh, happy to pick your brain about the 49ers and what they're going to do here because this is a really interesting draft for them. Yeah, it it absolutely is. I mean, I, I was probably like a lot of you guys. I, I hope your listeners know I'll, I'll say this if they don't. I, I grew up a Niners fan, 
sitting in my home office right now with a you know Niner stuff all over the place. And and so this is a, my first job actually was my first job in media I should say was writing about the 49ers draft for a, a little known draft website back in the day called NFL Draft Blitz. So. I've been a Niners fan since I was five years old, and DeForest Buckner was my favorite player. So when I got the alert that he was being traded, oh, I was man. I was pretty upset. It was like, ah, oh, it's okay. Like George Kittle's a nice fallback option, but like I was I was crushed as a fan. But then like that analyst brain kicks in, and you're like, oh, okay, well that 13th pick could be Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs or C.D. Lamb or C.J. Henderson. So you start to get pretty excited. But yeah, initially I was pretty crushed. Well, let's actually let's let's start with that thirteenth pick then, because I mean you mentioned it. They're trading a guy like DeForest Buckner, who looked like he was going to be a centerpiece of the franchise for the next decade, and now they trade him trade him for the number thirteenth pick. Uh, what options do you think are going to be available there for the Niners, and and what when you look at who might be available, uh, how do you kind of rank those those players in terms of fit? Yeah, I think that's the the silver lining of this. As as you know, for all Forty ers fans, it's okay. You lose the centerpiece, an all pro caliber defensive tackle, one of the top three D tackles in football. But on the flip side, what what do you get with that? And I think the economic health of the franchise long term is is super important to factor into that. So yeah, I think the the likely possibility is like okay, we could talk about Jeff Okuda from Ohio State. He should not be there. So the likely options, I think you have to start with Jerry Judy from Alabama. Uh, he's my number five overall player in this class. Somebody I'm very very high on. I think at the receiver position, also Henry Ruggs, number eleven player, CJ or CD Lamb, number twelve player, and then at corner, CJ Henderson, who's my thirteenth player, and Javon Kinlaw, the fourteenth ranked player, who's an interior defensive lineman for South Carolina. So. There are five or six guys that you feel pretty good about at that 13 spot. And, and equally as important, this is a Niners team that, that lacked draft capital this year. And while they still don't have a, you know, a ton of picks in this class, you're getting two first rounders. And that gives you a ton of, you know, on a roster that we used to talk about this. I know that this sounds weird, but back in the Trent Baalke days, like that roster was so good. You don't need 13 draft picks because they're not mm-hmm. making the roster. So the fact now, you know, sitting there with six picks, seven picks, you feel like those guys are going to, you know, actually be able to contribute and make the roster, especially two first-round picks. Yeah, so 49ers fans love talking about receivers, and, and particularly this year. I mean, they, they love talking about receivers every year because it seems like the 49ers, they draft a receiver every year. I think they've done it every year since 2002, but they haven't really hit on one that's become, you know, a star or even like a 1,000-yard guy since Michael Crabtree in 2009. Um you know, looking at C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs, they all have very different skill sets, and, and I think Kyle Shanahan could figure out a way to make any of those guys work, but I think I think the Alabama guys, Judy and Ruggs, might fit a little bit better because they have a little bit more of that natural route running ability and, and those separation skills that, that Shanahan has coveted in the past, particularly from, you know, somebody like Emmanuel Sanders, who they're going to have to replace. While Judy is more of like a physical guy, a quick game, yards after the catch guy, which makes me think he might be a touch redundant with Debo Samuel. Not that he would be a bad pick, but I just wonder about the the fit from that standpoint. Do you do you see the same thing? And how do you think uh, Kyle Shanahan is viewing those three guys in terms of how they fit within the structure of his offense? Yeah, I think that's a really important aspect of, of what I do for a living. You can I can sit here and say Jerry Judy's my number five overall player. He's my number one receiver. That's when you're looking at it through the scope of how it would fit for 32 teams. Then when you get specific and talk about the Niners, 
I think Judy would probably be my third choice because, like you said, I think he's a little redundant to Debo Samuel, who is so good on, you know, quick slants, crossing routes, and a guy who's going to be able, you know, to really produce yards after the catch. That is Jerry Judy. And I think Jerry's a much better route runner coming out of college, and Debo's a, a very good route runner, right? Uh, he, not disrespecting his game at all. Uh, absolutely a huge fan of his. But I think Judy's just such an advanced route runner. So, yeah, in a Kyle Shanahan offense, of course he, he fits. But does he fit in this offense? I, I don't know that he does as well. Um, I look at Henry Ruggs as the premier fit <clears throat> from fitting into an offense that we imagine is going to have Jalen Hurd. We know Debo's going to be there. We know Kittle's going to be there. And we know the running backs are going to be a big part of the passing game as well. So I think Henry Ruggs, I mean, he fits that well. And we've seen this with Kyle at, at every stop. And I, I think a foundation that his offensive philosophy is having someone who can take the top off a of defense, someone who's going to command the respect of a single high safety and, and who's going to open up those underneath routes for Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Jalen Hurd, and whomever is playing the running back position uh, as well as the fullback spot. So I think with Ruggs, like, that is just so appealing. Four two seven speed, you know, and he's a complete receiver. I think a lot of Twitter uh, draft guys knock him because it's like, oh, he's just a fast guy. He's not. He's a he's an advanced route runner. You don't start at Alabama just by being a fast guy. They had four receivers there who can be first round picks. So to get on the field and and have the impact that he did, I really believe that Rugs would just be dynamic. I think the one. The one knock on him is, okay, well, he's, he doesn't help in the return game, which you would expect from a guy who's that fast. It's just not something he's good at. But, again, for San Francisco, they don't really care about that. Like, it, you, you don't need him to come and be a punt returner. If it's something that he eventually develops, cool. But right now, that's not the biggest need for this team. So, And I think with CeeDee Lamb, I like CeeDee. I'm a Texas fan, and I'm, I'm so glad this guy's going to the NFL so I can root for him, <laughs> and he won't be kicking my team's ass anymore. But, you know, he's, he's never seen press coverage in college. He's not the fastest guy. And a lot of his catches were, I think, scheme-influenced. Uh, you know, he was schemed open. That's not to say that he can't get open in the NFL, yeah. but we just haven't seen him do it. So with CeeDee, I have a little more questions. And think again, we're talking about a guy who would dominate, you know, level one, level two catches – you have that player already. So that's where, to me, Henry Ruggs is just such an exciting option. The 49ers the last couple of years have, <laughs> have spent second-round picks on wide receivers. A lot was made of the depth in this year's class. What's the drop-off? if they Let's say they don't go receiver at 13, they trade back from 31, and they're going to take a receiver sometime in the second round. What's the drop-off between Judy, Ruggs, Lamb, and then that next tier? Yeah, I think it just depends on what type of run we see in the first round. You know, if T. Higgins is still there. I was actually, uh, you know, as we're sitting here Friday night, I was re-watching Clemson LSU, and, and I was like, God, I really like T. Higgins. Like, I don't know why people yeah. don't like T. Higgins. Like, I love this guy. And so if T. Higgins is a, a trade-back option, that size, you know, 6'4", 216, and he has some dog in him. Like, you watch him just, you know, yeah. with the downfield block where he's just knocking the hell out of Patrick Queen or he's putting the shoulder on Christian Fulton. Like, the guy's got some dog to his game. So I really like T. Higgins if he's there. Brandon Ayuk would be uh, – I actually compare Brandon Ayuk to Debo Samuel, so you probably wouldn't want to go that route. I think the drop-off after that is you get into players who have something missing. You know, like Denzel sure. Mims. Denzel Mims, good size, good speed, dropped a lot of balls. K.J. Hamler, really, really good speed. Also, like, dropped a lot of balls, and he's small. He's tiny. He's 5'8", 178 pounds. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, what about Jalen Rager? Up, oh, dropped a lot of balls. So it's like there's, there's these intriguing guys in there. Michael Pittman Jr., another one. It doesn't have great speed. So I think that's where the drop-off is. Like, these are all good players, and they're ranked high in the second round. But 
they're not as complete as those first three receivers you're going to talk about. And even then, like Justin Jefferson and T. Higgins, I feel like, are in a tier by themselves as, you know, mm. they should be drafted in the 20s and they're really good players. But the chances of them being there, you know, say you trade back to 34 so the Colts can come up. Like you're you're not getting one of those guys at 34. You're you're honestly not getting them at 31 either. So back to defensive tackle and, and talking about maybe replacing DeForest Buckner. You, you mentioned Javon Kinlaw is a guy I like a lot, um, and I and I think the the opinions between you know Javon Kinlaw or Derek Brown, the first two defensive tackles projected to go in the first half of the first round, are probably. Um, I mean, people have different tastes, right? So some people like Kinlaw's pass rushing. Other people just think Brown is so physically dominant that although he might not be as refined as a pass rusher, he could still be a, a Fletcher Cox or Akeem Hicks type player, which which really might benefit the 49ers because if, if you just get somebody who can command double teams and, you know, pair that person with Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and, and D Ford, it could still be a really, really good dominant defensive line do, do you think one of those guys between Kinlaw or Brown is a better fit than the other given what the 49ers have from a personnel standpoint yeah it's funny because my actual comparison for Javon Kinlaw is DeForest Buckner so it's just that I mean it's, <laughs> okay. yeah. it's plug and play and their bodies are a little different because Kinlaw 6'5 324 but it's their usage you know like this guy could be a great strong side defensive end in that scheme uh, he could also bump down and play anywhere he can play nose he can play one tech he can play three tech like he's just so versatile and he, he's so tough Derek Brown I see Derek Brown as a really good nose tackle you know like this this is a guy who you know 10 years ago we would have been talking about like this is a, a Casey Hampton type player or Haloti Nada in today's game and I like Derek Brown I feel like in today's game guys like that just aren't as valuable so like is he is he a better player than DJ Jones well yeah you know he is but is the impact of that position worth the 13th pick in the draft. And I don't know that it is anymore, especially when, you know, you have Armstead and Bosa and D Ford and you hope and pray that Solomon Thomas finally does something. It's just, it, it's, it feels so redundant. Uh, again, like we were saying with Debo Samuel, it's like, you're just, you're kind of drafting to fill a hole that you just created. So at that 13th pick, like I, I do think there's a chance that Javon Kinlaw's there. It really depends on, you know, what we see uh, Jacksonville do with a ninth overall pick. I think they're a really interesting team for him. Uh, and then what type of trade-ups we see. You know, if the Falcons try to trade up and don't get a corner, would they be interested in, in Kinlaw? So he could be there. Uh, we we were doing some draft rehearsal stuff the other day, and I was like, the one player I don't want the Niners to pick is Javon Kinlaw. And I like him. Like, I, I like the player a lot. He has a great story. He's overcome a lot. I just don't want another defensive lineman in the first round. Is that is that just positional value, or is it just you're tired of watching the 49ers take defensive <laughs> linemen? Like what what goes into that? I think it's just the positional value, and it's not like okay, okay you 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 want five first rounders on the D line. It worked pretty well last year. Like that's cool. Um, I, I just think at some point you want to do something different. And I yeah. so my personal opinion is you have one of, if not the best offensive mind of football in a head coach in Kyle Shanahan, and you have some really good coaches on defense. You know, Robert Sala is going to be a head coach soon, and underneath him there's some really good uh, yeah. guys as well, you know, D-line coaches, linebacker coaches. So it's like, but you have this offensive genius. And when he was with Atlanta and had Julio Jones, like look at the things he was able mm-hmm. to do. So in my opinion, it's like, let's just give Kyle some toys and not have to worry about Patrick Mahomes outscoring you in the second half. Because defense sure. is doing their job. It's just – at some point, you have to be able to score. And I think to, to even get a clean evaluation of Jimmy Garoppolo, to figure out, 
what is he? You know, is he a, a mid-tier quarterback? Are you in quarterback purgatory now and just don't realize it? Or is he a guy that can win you a ring? I think you have to give him more weapons. And, you know, Dante Pettis did not work out. I think we can all hope that that changes. But two years in, it, it hasn't worked out. Uh, hopefully Jalen Hurd becomes, uh, you know, a number one receiver. He's a fantastic athlete, but he's so new to that position. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just a little skeptical of that. So when I see someone like Ruggs or you can throw Judy and Lamb in there too, it's like those are instant impact players that I, I know what they're going to do for this team. And, and it's a perfect fit with the head coach who's there and the offensive philosophy. You draft another D lineman, it's just like, ah, man, like what, what is this really going to do for <laughs> us here? I, I, I personally think they, they do need to draft a defensive lineman at some point, just if for no other reason to have more bodies to rotate in and, and fill the void. I agree. Buck yeah. left. I don't think they can do it production-wise, because uh, I don't know if they'll get a player who's going to be that good. But uh, is there is there a player who can who can play a decent amount of snaps, maybe on day two, who you think can step in and, and be an effective starter right away? Yeah, I think this is why trading back from 31 is such an intriguing option because you got to try to you can't go from 31 to 156 without picking, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah, you got to do yeah. something in there. So I think that's the key. Is yeah, you know, if Ross Blacklock from TCU slips a little bit, he could have very very good production as a, a three technique um, who I think could kick inside and play a little bit as well. Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma could be a good player. Raquan Davis from Alabama. I mean, these yeah. are, are good players who. They're not, you know, the sexy athlete. They're not gonna. They're not rocking number five out there like Derek Brown, just killing people's hopes and dreams. But these are are good players <laughs> who uh, could still have big impacts. You know, um, uh, Utah's got a guy, uh, Lee Fodu, the defensive tackle who can play all over the place. Like there's there's good value in this draft, and I think um, I've not always been a, a real vocal. Uh, cheerleader for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and the drafting that they've done. But if they've done one thing, well, it's they've hit on some mid round picks. And so I think, yeah, spend 13 on an impact player. And then if you want to turn 31 into three picks between rounds two, three and four, that's where they've really hit a lot of their home runs. So I think it's really important to get that, get that pick back or get some picks back to try to find those value spots so that you're not, you know, not walking out of this draft with a starter at receiver, a starter on the D line who's going to rotate anyway, and then some backups in rounds five, six, and seven. And so switching to um, you know the other side of the ball, uh, offensive line, uh, I, I think you know the 49ers are in sort of a unique situation because they do have to consider life after Joe Staley, um, their starting left tackle, and and a lot of people, and myself included, I, I think they can. They, they consider tackle a, a need this year get and, and giving themselves a chance to develop somebody to eventually replace Staley would make some sense. But at the same time, you might be sacrificing a chance to get an instant impact starter unless the guy you draft to play tackle eventually starts at, at right guard where the, the 49ers cut Mike Person this offseason. Um, with those top four guys, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an offensive line expert, but it would seem to me that maybe Tristan Wirfs is, is the most likely to start out as a guard in the league, while Jedrick Wills and Mekhi Becton and Andrew Thomas are probably starting tackles from the jump. Is there anybody in the first round, and, and this this could include guys like you know Josh Jones or Austin Jackson and 
maybe Ezra Cleveland, somebody who could go uh, at 31 or in round two. Are any of these guys, you know, the type of players that could come in and be okay as a starting right guard before eventually kicking out to tackle when, when Joe Staley inevitably retires? Yeah, I think Werfs is the one. And, and I'm with you on mentioning that. I think it's something that you have to think about every year, you know, when evaluating players. It's where where's this guy's best fit year one. It's so uncommon. You know, like we all talk about that. Oh, draft him, we'll play him a guard, and then he'll kick the tackle. Like it almost never happens, though. You know, once guys find a home, they tend to stay there. I think Werfs is intriguing in that he, he kind of has the body uh, of a guard. Even though, you know, he has 34-inch arms and he's 6'5", 320, he kind of looks like a guard. His, his movement skills would be phenomenal in that zone blocking scheme. So I do see him as someone that is that rare prospect who, okay, you, you want to play right guard for a couple years? If Joe retires after the 2020 season, you're going to you know, work your tail off and we're going to acclimate you to that spot. And I think something that, that I don't know if it's been talked about enough is that we have to consider uh, there might not be – there's not going to be rookie minicamp. There might not be OTAs. Yeah. There might not be much of a training camp. So with Werfs, who's been playing right tackle, moving down to right guard is a hell of a lot easier than saying, oh, hey, you got to learn the playbook and work out in your in your living room by yourself and you're playing left tackle next year. Like that's – that's going to be a bit of a jump for a guy who, even coming out of Iowa, he's well-coached, he's an athlete, he's smart. That's a pretty big jump for a guy to make if there's not training camp and, and much time before the season to get ready. So I think that's something you have to consider as well. Is like, man, if we need this guy to play right now, let's keep him over there where he's comfortable with you know making those steps. I saw a lineman say on Twitter this week, they're like, how hard is it really to go from playing right tackle to left? And he was like, and I hope I can curse on your podcast. He's like, yes, uh, try to wipe your ass left-handed if you're right-handed. <laughs> it's that hard. Uh, I had shoulder surgery uh, once and, and was immobilized <laughs> for six weeks. It's really, really hard to do. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's that's not, you know, try to eat dinner tonight left-handed or, or you know, write a, a letter left-handed. It's, it's hard to do. So I, I look at Werfs as he's the ideal player. Once you get into round two, like I don't think Josh Jones is that guy. I, I don't think he's ready to play this year. I, I don't think Andrew Jackson is either. Um, so you, you really get to guys where it's like, okay, I, you might just be a guard. Like you might just be drafting yeah. Robert Hunt and just saying, okay, just stay at guard. You're going to be a really, really good guard. We'll just keep you there. Um, uh, you know, or Cesar Ruiz is a popular pick for the Niners at 31 in mock drafts because he can play guard or center. And so I think there's a lot of, you know, talk there of, okay, well, if Weston Reckberg is not ready to go, you know, this guy could play center and eventually play guard or vice versa. So I, I think that that's why he's an intriguing option if they keep 31. I'm trying to go through the mechanics of wiping myself with my left hand, and I've got nothing. It was terrible. Hands. Yeah, it, I think at that point you just after all this, you know, the toilet paper hoarding, and now wiping your ass opposite hand. It's just buy a bidet, and I'm not I'm not a, a paid spokesman for bidet companies, but I think it's a good investment. I'm sure they have them on Amazon. A uh, a former first round pick of the 49ers who may have been taken ninth overall in 2018 gave me the same exact quote when I was talking to him about potentially transitioning to the left side and um, you can connect the dots on that one but he said it, it's <laughs> it's basically it would take an entire off season to switch from uh, yeah. from right tackle to left so That's I'm with you on that. It's funny when you talk to NFL linemen they're like there's no difference between left and right tackles right but and then you suggest a guy should move and they're like that why would you do that like why would you you know, why would you switch this guy from the right to left side? And it's, it's okay. Well, which is it? Are they are they basically the same, or you know, is it? Should you just stay where you are already? Well, it's a point of pride too. Like you talk, if it you is. were to ask Joe Staley to switch to right tackle, he would he would mf you and all day and and be upset about that idea. Mm-hmm. So it, they they don't look at it the way you know the rest of us do. Like you know, exactly. with Von Miller lining up against right tackles as often as he does on the left side. 
they don't look at it like that. But anyway, Kyle has a question about cornerbacks, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to. I do want to jump over to the secondary real quick. Is is there a name that stands out, or or multiple names that stand out as as valuable cornerbacks at thirteen? Yeah, well, I think you know we mentioned earlier Jeff Okuda is not going to be there, unfortunately, right. uh, unless something crazy happens, crazier than a pandemic happens in the next five days. Uh, <laughs> CJ oh, Henderson, sure. CJ Henderson really intrigues me. Um, size, speed, uh, the fact that he played man coverage uh, a lot at Florida, and he's used to being on an island. I, I thought he got a little cute this year. He tried to do the, the old Deion Sanders, like I'm going to play off coverage and bait the quarterback and then use my closing speed to try to get interceptions. And sometimes it didn't work for him as well mm. as, as he thought. So I think if you draft a corner at 13, it has to be C.J. Henderson, and there's no guarantee he's going to be there. I think there's a, there's a lot of talk in the last week that he could be a top-10 pick. He could be the target of a trade-up. So, you know, I, I feel like that's too early for Jeff Gladney, who's not a very good scheme fit for San Francisco. It's too early for Jalen Johnson or A.J. Terrell, Trevon Diggs, Christian Fulton, you know, any of those corners that you often see linked to the team at 31. I just feel like if if your target is corner, you would almost be better trading back from 13 for someone who wants to come up for one of the tackles or receivers and then, you know, get your guy at, you know, wherever you land, 16 or 17. So the 49ers, you know, they, they run a version of that cover three scheme that originated with Seattle. And, um, you know, early on in, when John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan took over, they did target – you know, those guys who were 6'1 with 32-inch arms, like Richard Sherman, obviously. Um, it seems like Diggs is probably the closest fit to that in terms of those guys in the conversation in the first round or maybe early in, in the second round. Is is there uh, Are there other guys that, that sort of fit that schematic, or are there guys that did play a lot of man in college that you think could fit or transition to the, uh, the zone-heavy scheme that the 49ers typically run? Yeah, you're right that uh, Diggs is like if you were gonna draw up what a, a corner should look like in that scheme, it's it's absolutely him because the size, the speed. Um, I like that he's kind of new to the position as well, you know. So it's, he he's only been playing corner for two years, but he he definitely checks all those boxes from a height, weight, speed. After him, when you get down to like, okay, who has 32 plus arms? Bryce Hall coming out of Virginia does um, a guy who's coming off a pretty gnarly. Uh, broken ankle that happened in mid-October, but he got a clean bill of health. So we haven't seen him run. I haven't seen any agilities, and I think that could hurt him a little bit in this process. Uh, Lamar Jackson uh, from Nebraska, who we saw at the Senior Bowl, fits that mold. He's 6'2", 210, and had like 32 and a corner arms. Um, Kendall, Kendall Vildor from Georgia Southern, another guy, late-round pick, who, who would fit that mold. But there aren't many. You know, this year's class um, is a lot of shorter guys and a lot of short-arm guys. It's I don't think I've ever seen this many sub 30 arm inch corners before. It's just it's remarkable how many you know you get you get out of the first round. It's like five eight, five nine, five ten. You know, oh six two. Okay, cool. Oh well, you know this guy you know, can't run or he's got a, a big injury issue. I, I think the one that that intrigues people late. I, I've I've been asked about him a lot. Is the corner from Iowa uh, who is six one, two hundred pounds, ran a four four five, and has thirty two and a quarter inch arms, but. I didn't think he could cover very well. Um, even seeing him at the Senior Bowl, watching his you know tape the last two years, I, I, he he looked like the instincts and awareness were really lacking for me. And not to take a shot at a killer Weatherspoon, but we already have a guy like that. So um, <laughs> like I would, that would be someone you'd want to take late and develop, and not not count on a whole lot this year. All right, so I've got some rapid fire questions here to to get you out. I've got four of them. 
Um, unless unless Chris has has a couple. Um, no, you're in your bag. Go okay. for it. I'm in my, my bag, <laughs> as the youths say. Um, okay, who is your favorite prospect in this in this year's draft? Maybe not the guy who you think is going to be the best player, but just the guy you're like, man, I'm rooting for that guy. So I, people hate when I answer this question. It's Joe Burrow, but I feel like that's cheating. But I liked <laughs> Joe Burrow like in sure. August. So it's like that has been my guy. Antoine Winfield Jr. is the other where if I had mm. to just sit down and you were going to make me watch tape for an hour, it would be him because he's just so much fun to watch play. Okay, right on. Um, my guy for that is Antonio Gibson from Memphis. What are your thoughts on him? Please uh, validate my opinion. Yeah, it's like just, you know, <laughs> where are you going to play him at? You know, because it's like he's yeah. going to be asked to do something in the NFL that he didn't do in college, basically. So I think that's the, the key is like, okay, we're gonna, you're going to play running back because you do not have the feet or the hips to play wide receiver, uh, but but you've never done it before. So he's a really intriguing guy. Scheme fit is going to matter so much. Like, please, God, let him go to San Francisco or Philly or Kansas City or Indianapolis yeah. somewhere, you know, the, the Saints, somewhere where you're just going to give that dude touches in space. Is there a guy that you think is getting too much hype? Like everybody's all in, and you're you're just you're not seeing it. Yeah, uh, there's a. I feel like there's a lot of those guys, and then I, I just people get mad at me for saying things like this. I don't yeah, we're not see it. I don't see it at all with Ezra Cleveland. And I know there's like, oh the Browns could trade back to 15 and draft him. If they do, that would be the most Cleveland Browns thing ever. <laughs> I um I, so I got asked to consult on him at first, and, and so I did. You know, this was probably in December, and I watched, and it was like this is it? Like, this is the guy everybody's talking about? I have him ranked at 112 overall, and I just I just don't see it. Like, I don't see toughness. I know he played through some turf toe that may have affected his play power, but I just – I didn't see it. I, I did not think he was very good. So I'm, I'm low on him. I'm low on Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit, actually, I looked this up. He dropped 60 spots for me over the course of the season. Whoa. Which, yeah, like without, you know, robbing a liquor store. Like, he dropped 60 spots and actually played football. So I just – Man, the hype was so huge. It was like, this is the next Jamal Adams. He's, you know, the high character. He's a leader. He's a dog. And he's this great player. If you watch him play this year and you didn't know that that was Grant Delpit, that you would think, why is this kid playing? Like, he's the third best safety for LSU right now. So I'm I'm not real high on Grant Delpit. Um, I'm not very high on the quarterbacks. Like, I mean, I'm not high on Herbert. I'm not high on Jordan Love. So those are probably the other ones. I don't know. I try not to absorb a lot of other draft content because, you know, I do a podcast three times a week with Connor and Mello. So I'm constantly talking to them about prospects. I don't want, you know, everyone else's opinions to leak in as well. I know at one point I got a lot of hate on Twitter because I had Jalen Rager. It's like a mid-second rounder. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that has changed consensus-wise, but I, I think that he's a pretty big risk as well just because you got a small guy who's been banged up and he had a lot of drops. You know, that's, yeah. that's pretty a pretty scary trifecta for me. Sounds like Corey Coleman, you know, which you don't want to repeat those mistakes. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, all right, last rapid-fire question here. Who's the guy that, that we're going to, in the middle of next football season, go, how in the world did that guy make it to the second or third round or whatever, the, the Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara or Tom Brady award, if you will? Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate you. You went with a couple guys that I actually hit on, so it makes me look better. Um, I think Darrell Taylor could be that guy. I could see him, the, the edge from Tennessee. I could see him going somewhere and starting and having like 
you know, 10 sacks. And we're like, why the hell did this guy go in the third round? Or, or why did he go late second round? So he would be one that I think would stand out. You know, at those, you're never going to talk about a lineman. and be like, oh, my God, why did this this really good yeah. right guard for the Oakland Raiders? Why did he <laughs> fall in the draft? You know, it's always – it's more of those impact – a lot of times it's, you know, fantasy positions uh, as well. So uh, I think at the receiver spot, so much this year just depends on uh, where guys land, you know, what kind of fit you get in. But I really – I'll be a homer for one second. I really like Devin Duvernay from Texas. It, it, the guy dropped one pass in college. Four years, wow. one pass. Um, it kind of like 122 balls this year. He's ran a 4-3-9. Um, if he goes somewhere where they just let him be – like option routes underneath, jet sweeps, then I think he could be really, really dynamic. Can I, can I throw one quick take at you before we uh, oh, do it? Fine. Let's go. Let's okay, do it. Okay, <laughs> so my, Kyle asked you about um, the guy you think is getting too much hype. For me, I think it's Denzel Mims. Okay, and, I'm with you. Yeah, and, I agree. And I'm always a little leery of the guy that doesn't start to get first-round consideration until after the season. Right. Um, and to me, like, the testing numbers are what they are. Uh, he did really well at the Senior Bowl and in, in practice and stuff like that. But to me, it just seems like a flexibility thing. And maybe if he goes to the right system where the route tree is limited. Um, I don't know if DK Metcalf is the right comparison, but I think that's why I com- compared him to. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah. great. Well, maybe it is yeah. the right comparison then. But is is flexibility a, an issue for him in terms of becoming a route runner that a lot of people think he already is because he ran a quick three cone and things like that? Absolutely. And I think, he, yeah, he ran a quick three cone, but, it, you know, like his vertical jump sucked. And, and so it's like, do you have the – are you just a straight-line athlete? Do you have body control, burst, footwork? With Mims, for me, and I know – like, I don't know who his agent is, so I'm not trying to take a shot at someone. Uh, his agent has done a fantastic job. It's like, you know, all this first-round talk, and then Ian Rappaport's like, oh, he played with a broken hand. That's why he dropped so many passes. And then you're like, well, shit. Like, is that why he dropped so many passes? So, you know, it's Tuesday – the week before the draft, and you're going back and watching Baylor game film again. And I just – I never thought he played with a lot of power in his route. He just seemed kind of lackadaisical in his routes to me. And yeah, I, I feel like receiver is the position I scout best. Not that I do it well, but the the one that I scout best. And, and I just – I never saw it with him. But guys like that scare you, right, because that size, you know, 6'3", 210, and you're on a 4'3", with a, a 6'6", 6'3", cone, it's like, man – if that hits, I'm going to look really stupid because that there aren't many guys who move like that. But I think that's why that's why I wish people read more scouting reports than they do rankings, so you could see the context and like try to understand why you had concerns about a player because there's strengths that go with those weaknesses, and he has plenty of them. But this talk about him being a first round pick does scare me quite. Like, I would not be comfortable drafting him in the first round. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. All right, I think that's all we got for right now. Thank you so much uh, for hanging with us here for a little bit. Uh, you guys can check out Matt Miller on the Stick to Football podcast, of course, Bleacher Report. Uh, when's your final your final big board and, and mock draft coming out? Yeah, so the final big board drops Wednesday. Uh, the final mock draft will come out Thursday, but I have to hand it in Monday. I always like to, to tell people, like, a little, I, I don't get to update that thing until the last minute it has to be handed in monday but we're doing a cool thing this year if you guys don't mind i'll plug it we're doing a live draft coverage in the bleacher report app in the past we've done it on like twitter youtube things like that but they're really proud of some of the developments they've made in the app this year you can have like you know group chats and stuff with your buddies so it's going to be a lot of fun so we'll be live uh, all three days of the draft breaking it down so uh and we won't 
fixate on like, oh my God, Joe Burrow was the first pick. Let's talk about it for four hours. We're going to talk about every pick like they're as important as Joe Burrow. All right on. Well, Matt Miller from Bleacher Report. Make sure to read him at BleacherReport.com. Download that Bleacher Report app too and follow along throughout the NFL draft. Matt, thanks so much for hopping all of this time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.